I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how much I am struggling for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in my heart and united in love so they, that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. Thanks be to God. Thank you. <clears throat> Sorry, a very slightly different version. Tim, would you like to come up? Um, who were you supporting yesterday, just out of interest? Either or, or neither? Okay, I think that's the right answer this morning. <laughs> I seem to remember we fired questions at you last time and we said rugby or football and I feel like you said you preferred rugby over football. What would it be today to watch? Yeah, but a different answer for play. You're free football. Great, good to know. Absolutely. It's good to know a bit about the preacher, isn't it, before he starts to preach and you know, whether we can trust him. <laughs> <laughs> um, Tim, Tim is a Minister for Growth um, at, in the Benefice, and it's wonderful to have you and, um, with us this morning. Thank you. Let's pray for Tim as he comes to speak. Father God, thank you for Tim. Thank you for um, all he does in uh, this Benefice, for, this, um, for the growth of your ministry here. And we pray as he opens God's word to us now that you would speak through it. You would speak through him and we would have ears that are ready to hear and that we would be ready to respond. And so we pray for Tim now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you very much. Um, so if you have a Bible, um, either on your phone or a, an actual physical book, do have, do have the passage open. I don't know the page number, but it's Colossians 1 and 2, um, if that's easy to find. Um, if not, I'm sure it'll be fine. Um, don't worry, you can just listen extra hard. So, um, question for you. I'm going to start with you guys talking to each other, and I would like you to discuss or tell the person next to you what you think the point of church is. You're all here on Sunday morning, so you, you must think there's some point. Um, now, there's no particular, there's not, there's not one right answer to this, by the way, so I'm not looking for a load of right answers necessarily. I'm just quite interested to see what you think. So, tell the person next to you what is the point of church? Okay. 
I reckon that's probably enough time to give a short answer. I'm going to ask a few people if they're brave enough to just kind of uh, share, maybe share what the other person said, if you're not feeling that brave. Yes, go on. Yes. Brilliant. I'm not, I mean, I don't know, I don't know if anyone else is going to want to speak now because you've absolutely nailed it. Um, Hebrews 10, do not give, it, give up meeting together. Some are in the habit of doing, but meet together regularly so that we may encourage each other, spur one another on to life and good deeds. And two is better than one. Yep. Be God's family. Reach out, as Simon was just talking about in the prayers just now, to our community. These, I mean, frankly, I don't really need to preach now. Yep. Brilliant. Bible, communion, fellowship together, praying. These are things we do in church. <laughs> Good. Anything else? Anyone else? We've covered most things. Sorry? To worship God. Yes. Sorry, I didn't catch that. Yeah. So in worship, in hearing his word, drawing close to God through Jesus, that sets us up for the week. I mean... Is food, milk, milk comes for, for the toast beforehand and the barbecue next week, and maybe some spiritual food, Malk. Occasionally, you might dispense some of that. Breaking of bread, amazing. Isn't church great? Um, that's brilliant. Uh, okay, and now let's think about, we've already thought about in our, so, it, so far actually, it's been interesting, Malk in the prayers listed some of the stuff that we as a church here at St. Andrews do. Um, what do we have? What, what, what do we do as a church? Shout about what, what stuff do we what do we do during the week? Toddlers on a Tuesday, focus on a Wednesday, the lunch, needles and natter, knit and natter. Hands up who goes to that one? I've never that's that's the one group I've not been to yet. I need to come along to that. The twins group, there's a twins group, amazing. I didn't know that. Youth on a Thursday evening, parenting course. Mum study group. Wow, there's even more than I realised. Men's breakfast, food's becoming a theme. Good. Okay. So we thought about what church is about. We've thought about all these activities, and we probably there's some others we haven't mentioned. Obviously, Sunday mornings as well. We gather together on Sunday mornings. That's quite important. What is the point of it all? What's the point of it all? And obviously, there are several right answers to this, and you've given nearly all of the right answers. I suppose if we were to try and focus on what the ultimate end goal of it all is, I'd bring us to this verse that we've just had read in Colossians 1, verse 28. Let me read it to you again. This is what Paul says about why he does his ministry, why he plants churches, why he does all the stuff that we do here at St. Andrews. We proclaim him, that's Jesus, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that, what's the point, Paul? He says, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. We may present everyone, as those here in church, and we pray those outside our church as well, mature in Jesus. That is kind of like the end goal. That's the point. Is people come to Jesus and they grow in Jesus and they grow in maturity in Jesus. That's the point ultimately of church. That's why we do all the stuff. Now, midweek, 
is to bring people to Jesus so they can grow in maturity in Jesus. Now, that's quite a lot of kind of jargony words there, growing in maturity in Jesus. And it probably doesn't set your heart alight. If you go, oh, yes. That, if it doesn't yet, it will do, hopefully, by the end of this sermon. Okay, so we'll, look, we'll think about what actually that means to be mature in Jesus. But first of all, let's think about why that is a good thing. Well, first of all, let's think, be reminded about who Jesus is. If you've been here the last couple of weeks and looked at chapter one of Colossians, we've seen some amazing things about Jesus. We've seen that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. We've seen that Jesus created all things. If you want to know why we're here, look at Jesus. We've seen that Jesus, uh, for all things were created for Jesus. If you want to know why we're here, what the purposes of being here is, look at Jesus. We've seen that God is in Jesus reconciling all things. So if you want to know God personally, you want to know God, will come to Jesus. So this is, this is the person we're talking about when we're talking about Jesus. He's quite an incredible, incredible person. That's one reason why it's, it's good to be mature in Jesus. Another reason is this. I don't know if you've noticed this in your life, but life, and maybe particularly the Christian life, our spiritual journey, it's not a straight road, is it? Usually. It's not a smooth surface. Life is not straight and easy. Um, I don't know if you've ever been in a boat or a kayak or a canoe or something like that when there's a really strong current pulling. I was, on, I, I was, I was on a, doing some kayaking in the sea once, and they told us, don't go over there because there's this rip current that goes that way, and you'll be basically dragged out to sea, which was enough for me to kind of pedal or you know, paddle in the opposite direction. If, you, if you've been in a boat with a strong current pulling you, it's really, really hard, really, really hard. Well, Paul is writing this letter to the Colossians because there are currents in our current culture which drag us away from Jesus, like those currents out to sea. There are currents, there are kind of movements in our culture which will drag us away from Jesus. So he says in the end of our reading, chapter 2, verse 4, did you notice that? It says this, uh, chapter 2, verse 4, I tell you all this, what he said in chapter 1, so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments, those currents which will drag us away from Jesus. It's true in Paul's day, it's true still today. So we're to be mature in Jesus because Jesus is brilliant, we want to be more like him, we'll see that in a minute but also because actually we don't just drift to maturity in Jesus. We don't just become a Christian and, you know, drift towards being more like Jesus because there are things that will drag us away. And so part of the point of church is to build us up in him so that we're not dragged away and we become more like Jesus. Paul doesn't want us to be taken in and abandoned following Jesus. He wants us to become more like him. So how do we do it? How do we do it? Well, if we want to be Jesus-shaped people, which is my prayer for us, then we need Jesus-shaped church or Jesus-shaped ministry. Here's five marks. I'm going to go through them quickly. I'll spend, I'll spend a bit longer on one or two of them, but I'll go through really quickly. Five things. doesn't matter if you... Just remember one, maybe. One out of five is not bad. Okay? But five things for Jesus-shaped ministry, Jesus-shaped church. Here we go. The first one maybe surprises us, and that is that Jesus-shaped ministry or Jesus-shaped church involves suffering. Did you notice the first verse of our reading? It's quite an extraordinary statement. Let me read it for you again. Chapter 1, verse 24. Extraordinary statement. Um, Now I rejoice, this is Paul, now I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you. I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you. And I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. Now there's all sorts of stuff in there. But notice that he rejoices in his suffering. I was at a gig last week because I'm a cool guy. Um, Really not. But I was at a gig in Bristol, the O2 Academy, which does sound quite cool, but it was a sea shanty gig, 
Uh, it's people singing sea, sea shanties. In fact, do you want me to play you the song that I'm about to refer to? Shall I see if I can play it through this? It probably won't work. Um, hang on. Here we go. If, you, if this works, listen to the lyrics of this first bit. Can you hear that? See, it's not cool, is it? Listen to the words. Let us pause in life's pleasures and count its many tears while we all sorrow with love. Oh, doesn't like that, does it? I'll pause it there. You get the feeling. Oops, you get, you get the idea. I'll read you the words. Really nice song. It's called Hard Times Come Again No More. It's an American kind of folk tune. And this sea shanty group, they sang it. And I was really struck as I kind of belted it out with 1,500 other people at the O2 Academy um, of what it says about suffering. So listen to the words. Um, let it, this is how it started. Let us pause in life's pleasure. I won't sing it for you. <laughs> Tempted. Let us pause in life's pleasure and count its many tears while we all sup sorrow with the poor. There's a song that forever will linger in our ears. Oh, hard times, come again no more. Is the song, the sigh of the weary. Hard times come again no more. Um, as I was singing that, I guess many of us will feel that this morning. Hard times come. Some of us will be in those hard times now. And maybe we, we sing that, we, we, we hear that, and we think, yeah, hard times come again no more. I could do without more suffering, please. And as I sang that, totally natural reaction to suffering, of course, I was struck by Paul's words and the difference that knowing and ministering to uh, in G knowing Jesus and ministering in Jesus makes to Paul's suffering. Did you notice that? He says, I rejoice in my suffering. I rejoice in the suffering. Um, it completely changed his view. Paul's suffering, that is his persecutions, his imprisonment, his beatings. He was beaten up for following Jesus. His arduous journeys, his loss of face, his battle with temptation, all of that stuff. His sufferings, he says, are for a purpose. He says they're for God's people. Knowing Jesus has changed it. And he says, actually, his sufferings are connected to Jesus somehow. It's an astonishing thing. He puts it just one page back in Philippians 3, another letter that he wrote. He wants to participate, he said, in the sufferings of Jesus. I want to participate in the sufferings of Jesus. He's not talking about participating in Jesus' death for our sins, as though he can somehow kind of add to what Jesus has done to forgive us by dying on the cross. That was Jesus' job done once for all. But he's saying the pattern of Jesus was suffering first and then glory second. And he calls his followers to do the same, to take up their cross every day and to walk the road of suffering with Jesus. And more than that, it's quite astonishing, Paul is in Christ. He says, I'm in Christ and Christ is in me. And so Paul's sufferings are, in some sense, Christ's sufferings. Isn't that amazing? And that's true of us. That when we are followers of Jesus, we are in him, he's in us, and so our sufferings are connected to him. He suffers with us, alongside us. We're participating in the sufferings of Jesus. We are, if you like, we've got suffering and faith in Jesus now, and Jesus with us, and glory to come. That's, the, that's what Christian life is. And I find that, although it doesn't make suffering easier in many ways, it's a great encouragement that that is the way of Jesus. And that's the first mark of, 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 of Jesus-shaped church and ministries will suffer with Jesus, for Jesus, together, and Jesus with us. And actually, if you're enduring suffering at the moment, you are walking the road of Jesus.
It's not easy, but he's with you in it. Second mark of Jesus-shaped ministry is the word of God. I'll be brief on this one. Verse 25, Paul said, I've become the church's servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. And that simply is to say Jesus-shaped ministry is Bible-shaped ministry. If we want to know Jesus better, then we need to get to know our Bibles better. We can listen to the Bible. We don't have to read it with amazing audio versions, but get to know the Bible better, and you will get to know Jesus better. Um, and actually, to the extent that a church is moving away from the Bible, well, we should steer clear of it. We want a church and a ministry which is Bible-shaped because that will make us Jesus-shaped. The word of God in all its fullness. That's what Paul was resolved to preach. And that's what, praise God, this church is resolved to preach as well. Uh, so, good. Bible shape. Third mark of... Oh, I can't count. There's two fingers. Third mark. Third mark of Jesus-shaped ministry, the presence of Jesus. Verse 27. This is amazing. He talks about this mystery. I'm not going to go into it right now. But he talks about this mystery that's been revealed. And he says, what is this mystery? And he says, verse 27, this mystery is Christ in you the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Do you want a summary of what it means to be the people of God? What does it mean to be a Christian? It means Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul often elsewhere speaks of, of us being in Christ. We find our identity in Christ. And here he says, well, Christ is in you. This is the experience of Jesus by his spirit taking residence in our lives, in our hearts. So he is really in us, with us. To be a Christian is to have Christ in you. And the presence of Jesus in us is why we have the hope of glory to come. However hard life is now, whatever we experience, Jesus is with us. And that guarantees future glory, future hope, life with God to come. Rock solid hope. That's life with Jesus. Number four, fourth mark of Jesus-shaped ministry, maturity in Jesus' goal. That's what I started with. We started with this. Um, was anyone involved here, anyone here involved in putting together the advert for Malk's job? Awkward if you were. I mean, well, not that awkward. I don't know. Or maybe, oh, yeah, one person. So it's only one person put together the job description. Um, maybe someone else, maybe you've been involved in putting together, I don't know, a job description for a minister or a vicar or something like that. And this is what happens usually. You kind of, you chat to the worship team, you chat to the knitter and natter, you chat to the toddlers, you chat to the school. You get everyone's opinion of what they need in the new minister. And you write it all down and you come up with a list of qualities which describes no one who's ever existed. And something along the lines of, our new minister, <laughs> this is why, well, I don't know, I didn't see your job description, Malk, actually. But it, you know, it might say something like, our new minister will be approachable, able to manage change, gifted in finance, able to connect with young people, a natural with the elderly, preferably a professional standard musician, best preacher in England, cool but not aloof, young but not too young, one of us, comfortable with everyone, uh, a strong leader. And yeah, that's pretty much it. And we found him. <laughs> well, I don't know about that one. Exactly. The problem is we come up with lists like that and people like me and Mount start crying because we know that it describes no one. What do we really need in our church leaders, our vicars, our ministers? What do we really need? I think Paul in this letter describes it. Verse 28 in 29, someone who will positively teach the scriptures. And Paul says negatively be willing to admonish. That is to kind of point out error, to correct things which are a bit wrong. So that they may present everyone mature 
in Jesus. Maturity in Jesus is the goal, and we need leaders that lead us to that. Being like Jesus, growing in his character. And can I say, at this point, if you're thinking, well, again, what does that really mean? Is this a bit dry and dull, being like Jesus? <sighs> it's not. Because Jesus is amazing. Just in your mind, I don't care where you go to, but think of, if you can, think of one incident in Jesus' life where he interacts with someone else. All right? Have you got one in mind? Think of that incident, or a few maybe. And as you think about Jesus and that incident in his life, think about how Jesus, in every interaction, dignifies other people. Think about how selfless he is. Think about how kind he is. Think about his compassion to those who don't really deserve his compassion. Think about his bravery. Think about his loyalty to his friends. Think about his power and authority. Think about his love. Think about his purity, complete integrity of life. The goal of Jesus-shaped ministry is to so drench people in the beauty of Jesus as his word is preached in all its fullness that actually those people become like mini Jesuses. Imagine, be, you've just thought of all that about Jesus. And that was scratching the surface. Imagine becoming like that. Imagine becoming more like Jesus. Imagine that we, so much so do we become like Jesus that people kind of describe us as the church as like mini Jesuses. And we go and knock on doors on Fox Hill. And they say, well, those people are a little bit like Jesus. And actually, I don't know if you know this, but the, the, way, the, the, the way we got the term Christian you know, describe people that follow Christ as Christians, was exactly that. It was people at the end of the first century mocking people like you and me because they were mini-Christs. Ah, oh, look at the little Christians. Look at the little Christians, the mini-Jesuses. And the Christians went, yeah, we are. We are. And they were, they were known for loving like Jesus and living like Jesus and being like him. Wouldn't it be amazing if people gave us that nickname? whether they were mocking us or admiring us. Wouldn't it be amazing? That is the goal. That's what it's about, is becoming more like Jesus. I'd love to be given a nickname because I was too like Jesus. That's the fourth one, final one. The power of Jesus is the fuel. Uh, I, so I said you only had to remember one, so don't worry. Final one, though, power of Jesus is the fuel. Um, Verse 29, I think, of our reading should be a motto verse for all Christians, maybe particularly those who are kind of working hard in some kind of ministry. Paul says, to this end, that is to presenting people mature in Jesus, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I'll read that again because it's a bit odd. There's a tension there. Did you notice it? To this end, presenting people mature in Jesus, I strenuously contend, Paul's working hard, with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. So the fuel of Jesus-shaped ministry is the power of Jesus himself. It's kind of a tension there. It's hard. It's strenuous work. Ministry is hard. I bet if you've ever done Fox Hill Focus, it's hard work, isn't it? Like cooking or washing up or whatever. If you've, if you've led on a Sunday morning, that's quite hard. If you've preached, that's quite... Ministry, in Jesus' name, is, is hard. It's strenuous work. But as we do it, our fuel ultimately is Jesus' power in us, the resurrection power of Jesus working in us. I don't think that means that as we work in Jesus' name, we get a kind of Jesus back cape and 
like bat wings or something. It's not we get some kind of weird power that may be, you know, superior power. But sometimes Jesus' power working in us is simply keeping us in him, keeping us working for him, working in his name. Occasionally that power might push through in some miraculous thing. But it's Jesus' power at work that keeps us going. So the fuel of Jesus-shaped ministry is the power of Jesus. So when you're at the sink washing up, when you're talking to someone whose life is falling apart, when you're leading worship, um, when you're on the sound desk, when you're helping at Tuesday toddlers maybe, the power of Jesus is your fuel. You can come to him and ask him for more when you need it. That's what we need, Jesus-shaped ministry, if we're going to become Jesus-shaped people. If we're not going to be kind of pulled along by those currents, if we're going to become mature in Jesus, that's what we need. So how do we do it? How do we do it? Um, I'm, going to, I'm going to cut the rest of my sermon at this point because I think we just land here. <laughs> but it's pretty simple. In this passage, you see that when you become a Christian, you receive Jesus as Lord of your life into your heart and his presence is in you, Christ in you, the hope of glory. So we come, become a Christian, we, at faith we, we receive Jesus. And then as we hear his word preached in all its fullness, we understand more of Jesus and we receive more of Jesus into our lives. And then he says, actually, what he wants for us is to be united in love, knit together with other believers. That's what he said in chapter 2, verse 2, that you have been united in love. So we come to church and we're united together because we've all got Christ in us and so Christ is in us together corporately. And then we receive the word of God and then we have the spirit of Jesus in us. And, and it's like this kind of happy circle of growth. As we go, the individual receives Jesus. The word of God is preached to all of us and we all grow in maturity together. And that is why I love church. It's why I love particular. I don't want to be kind of rude to younger people here. But that's why I particularly love the fact that church has some older Christians in it, because we need you older saints to show us what maturity in Jesus looks like. And I love that Paul says, be united in love with fellow believers. And I'm thinking particularly of those older saints who are long in maturity. They've, they've delved long and deep into the treasury of Jesus, and they know those riches of wisdom and understanding that Paul is talking about in chapter 2. And the brilliance of church is we get to be united with them and learn from them and become deeper in maturity of G in, in Jesus. So that's why I love church. Uh, that's kind of the point of church. That's my prayer for us this morning. Should we have a moment of quiet and then we'll pray? Lord Jesus, thank you that all the riches of wisdom and knowledge are found in you. Thank you that spiritually we're billionaires in you. Um, and, and we want this morning to delight in you as we hear your word. We want to be united with one another, knit together in love. We want to connect on that deep level. And as we do that, Lord, would you make us more like you? Would we this morning be made more mature in Jesus, a bit more like him, that our lives might be lived to his glory and that people might look at us and say they're like Jesus. And as that happens, Lord, would you, would you um, do as you see fit? Would you bring people in 
that more people might know Jesus, more people might be mature in him. Lord, use us for your glory, we pray. Amen.